Well, thank you. I'd ask you to take your copy of the written Word of God and turn with me to the book of John. John, where we have the privilege of resuming where we left off. Last week, we'll be looking at verse 35. I'm wondering if you could look back in your life, maybe you're young or maybe you're old, and you could pinpoint a a week or a couple of weeks where your life changed. I I think of that question for myself, and I I could zoom back to August of 98, and I was sitting right over in this area, and I remember on a Sunday evening, this young lady came up in this direction right here and gave a testimony of a summer mission adventure in Wyoming. And when I saw her, my life was changed. <laughs> and that would be uh, the woman I would marry. I can think of the day in which our firstborn was brought into this world and my life changed. I can remember a time reading the Bible and coming across a verse that was just indicating what I should be doing with the next part of my life. It's it's like God spoke to me through that verse, and and my life changed there. What we are going to look at today is a week. Actually, this is the third message as we've covered the Gospel of John chapter 1, and what you have here is seven days. So why don't you just do a quick review with me. John chapter 1, verse 19, it says, And this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? So that's the first day. But if you look then at verse 29, it says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We covered that last week. The third day is what we're going to begin with here in a moment. That's chapter 1, verse 35, where it says, The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And then the fourth day is contained in verse 43, where it says, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Now, to go to Galilee was a three-day journey. So four plus three is Seven days. A week to remember is the title of this message. And what I'd like to do today is instead of following that normal pattern where I read the passage of Scripture and then back up and then work through it uh, verse by verse, I just want to read it uh, one verse at a time and let's cover this passage. Now, John chapter 1, we are being introduced to Jesus. He has yet to speak. Rather, John the Baptist has come, and he has said that he is the one that is the Messiah. He is the promised one. And so now we're going to see people become followers of Jesus in the remaining portion of John 1. Let's pray together. And I would say, let's not lose sight of what we are praying here. Um, How many would love to see a miracle today? Well, I think a miracle takes place when God speaks to us. And the way he does that is through his Bible. As we read this, he he still speaks to us today. The Holy Spirit is used to speak specifically about our lives. And so let's pray for that. God, we thank you that you are active. We thank you that you are active not only in church buildings, but outside church buildings, as we heard from Miss Karen just a little while ago. We thank you that you are not silent 
but you are continuing to speak truth through the Bible. And so we pray right now as it is read and then as it is taught that these would not be just uh, academic words, but these would be life-changing and life-transforming words. And as Jesus is being introduced to people in this passage, I pray that around this room and maybe online or hearing later, people would also come and see who Jesus is. And we would be encouraged to, to walk in a relationship with him. Maybe we've been doing that for a week, or maybe we've been doing that for 70 years. Maybe we have a, a, a joy in doing that. It is through his name we pray. Amen. So let's scan now. Look at John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35, where it says, The next day, that's day 3, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. Again, this is John the Baptist, not John the author of this gospel. You'll see here that he actually had a few followers. In a little while, we'll find out the names of those followers. Verse 36 says, And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, this isn't the first time that these words have been uttered by John the Baptist. He said the very same thing in verse 29. He is saying it again the next day. And last week, we we spent some time identifying the significance of that phrase, Behold the Lamb of God. It speaks of how the Lamb was spotless. It speaks of how that Lamb was a, a sacrifice. It speaks of how that Lamb was a sacrifice, and that was also a substitute for sinners. So he is identifying Jesus again the following day. Then it says in verse 37, The two disciples heard him say this, And they followed Jesus. So here was John the Baptist who had invested his life for the purpose of preparing the way for Jesus. Last week we spoke about how this this would have been a common role whenever a king would leave his land to go to another land. There needed to be one that would help make preparations for that. The plan to travel route to make sure that the itinerary was organized. And this was the word, this was the the phrase that was used for John the Baptist. And so this was his function. He has spent time with at least these two men, and now he is ready to, to pass them off over to Jesus. Now, if ever you've participated in any sort of ministry, maybe it was teaching kindergarten, Maybe it was teaching the fourth grade boys, or maybe it was helping with the student ministry, or maybe even with some adult ministry, and you've been with them for nine months to a year, and you have invested your life in them, you really care for them, you know that it can be difficult just to say goodbye. Now it's time for you to move on to this next person. And that's what we see here with John the Baptist. He's invested in these men. And once again, we see this sign of humility to say, this is not about me. This is about you being with Jesus. So this is, this is who I've been pointing at. And, and, and now you have my permission to go and follow Jesus. It's a great picture of parenting, isn't it? That we are to prepare our, our children to, to, to follow Jesus without us, and you, you send them off. Then you see here in verse 36, And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, 
the first words spoken by Jesus in the Gospel of John, what are you seeking? Now, Jesus is God. He is all-knowing. So that when he asks a question, it's not for his benefit because he lacks information. Rather, it's for the benefit of the person who he's asking the question of. And this is a really good question, isn't it? What are you seeking? Well, I've been meditating on that question for myself throughout this week. And I've wondered, how would I answer that? Do, do you know that as we read through the scriptures, that not everyone who says they are a follower of God or any of everyone who says they are a follower of Jesus are following Jesus for the right reasons? In Matthew chapter 6, there's this picture as Jesus is teaching on prayer. And, and there are these people that would offer up some very articulate phrases. But the reason they were praying was to be heard by others that they might be seen by others, according to Matthew 6. And they were already receiving their benefit of man's praise as they were praying. Jesus had one of his disciples named Judas, who had, to, who had the role of doing the books of the ministry. And according to John chapter 12, there were times where he would keep some money for himself. He was a thief. So he followed Jesus for the financial purposes. Well, maybe my favorite is in Acts chapter 6. There was a man named Simon who was a magician. And, and he had a great routine, and, and people throughout the community knew who he was. But then these Jesus followers came into his community, and they started healing people. And he thought to himself, I would love to be able to add that to my, to my program. How can I get that? Because following Jesus would be good for my business. We find out he actually tried to purchase the Holy Spirit, and he was rebuked for that. So the question for us today is, what am I seeking? Comfort? Are we seeking security? Are are we seeking blessings? Or are we seeking truth? Are we seeking forgiveness of our sins? Are we seeking a Savior? Are we seeking the Lord? So he asked them this question, what are you seeking? And they say to them, last part of verse 38, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? That's a good question. Where are you staying? Now, we ought not to take that just at face value because Jesus doesn't offer them an address. Well, I'm actually staying at the corner of Ninth and Ridge or Or where are you staying? And I don't think they're motivated at all by an interest in architecture or interior design. I'd I'd really love to see what your house looks like and, and how you decorate it. Rather, this question is really about, Jesus, we would love to learn from you. We would love to spend time with you and and understand how you teach, what you teach, and how you spend time with people and what you are all about. And that's the way Jesus responds. Look at verse 39. He said to them, Come, and you will see. What Jesus is doing then is inviting them into a relationship. He's not saying, uh, Where do I live? I live over here. He's saying, Why don't you spend the day with me? We're going to hang out together. So they came and saw where he was staying. 
And they stayed with them that day, for it was about the tenth hour. He spent the whole day with these two men that were wanting to know who this Jesus was. And evidently, this was such a life-changing event that one of them is immediately going to go to a loved one, a brother, to invite him to meet Jesus. Now, now who are these guys? Verse 40 says, One of those two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So we know who one of them was. It's not exactly clear who the second one was, although most believe that it was actually the author of the gospel here, the gospel of John, John himself. So what is it that Andrew does the moment he realizes that Jesus is the deliverer of sin? Well, let's look at verse 41. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. The first thing he does when he realizes this really is the the Savior, the Deliverer, the, the Messiah, the Christ, is he immediately invites a loved one to meet Jesus. What is this word Messiah? What does this word Christ mean? Is it Jesus' last name, Jesus Christ? No, the word Christ or Messiah means anointing. As we read through the Old Testament, we see there are times where God would, would place his anointing. He would set aside someone for a specific task. And now there would be one that would be the anointed one who would carry out this task, who would serve as a savior, a deliverer for men and women's sin. And Andrew and John were looking for this person. And now that they had found them, you couldn't keep them from inviting other people to know this Jesus. Verse 42 tells us, And he brought him to Jesus, that is Peter or Simon. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So on the first encounter that Jesus has with Andrew's brother Simon, he offers a name change. The word Simon means hearer, and now he'll be called Cephas or Peter, which means what, church family? Rock, that's right. And as, as you read the next couple of years worth of story, you would say that Simon or Peter is anything but a rock. He is anything but stable. He, he, he is given over to the wind of emotion. In fact, he is the disciple that denies Jesus. But we have the benefit of reading the, the, the book of Acts, don't we? Where we see that he eventually becomes stable. He becomes a rock, a, a great leader within the early church. And we actually have first and second Peter as well. So now let's look at verse 43 where it says, The next day, this is day four. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. This is a three-day journey. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Verse 44, now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Verse 45 says, Philip found Nathanael. 
and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Evidently, Nathaniel is a man that really values the scriptures. Philip, once again, upon learning that Jesus is the promised one, by impulse immediately goes and tells other people about it. And he says that Nathaniel, this is the one who Moses and the law wrote about. That's, that's just another way of saying the Old Testament. This is the one who the Old Testament has pointed to. And it says here that he is of Nazareth and that he is the son of Joseph. I thought he was the son of God. Well, in a legal way, he was the son of Joseph. That'd be Mary's husband. And it says here that he is from Nazareth. Verse 46 says, Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Uh, Probably all of us uh, know of a small town, of a community that we just kind of look down upon. I certainly have had those. When I was in high school, there was a a rival community. They were on the the other side of the county seat town. Uh, They were called Flambeau. And there was a couple little collection of towns. One was Tony and one was Glenflora. And we looked down upon those people. We didn't like them, probably because they always beat us in sports, right? But, but nonetheless, they were our rivals. And we might have said, could anything good come from Tony or, or, or Glenn Flora? Well, what was it that they despised Nazareth for? Recently, some archaeological uh, digs uh, were in this area where Nazareth was, and they discovered that it was a military outpost. That would have been Roman soldiers. And so not only did you have the Jews that didn't like the Romans, but a lot of times during these military bases, there would be all sorts of immoral living that would take place. So the Jews, like Nathaniel says, could anything good come from that area? Now, Jesus was not born in Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem, but he lived there in Nazareth. So he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, well, come and see, come and see. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. And we're going to need to do a little Old Testament context here to to get an idea of how full this sentence is. As you look back to the book of Genesis, the father of the Jews was a man named Abraham. And one of his descendants was Jacob. And do you remember what the name Jacob means? Supplanter or deceiver, right? And there was a time where Jacob, because he was always trying to scheme and, and deceive people, he, he and God, we believe the pre-incarnate of Jesus there, got into a wrestling match. And it was there where Jacob's name was changed to Israel, which means wrestler, wrestler with God. Well, now, as Jesus is looking upon this man named Nathaniel, he says, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Maybe another way of saying it, there is one from Jacob, the deceiver, who has no deceit. I think what he is saying here is, here is one from the Israelites who really is seeking truth. He's really looking for the Savior. Jesus can see this man's heart. 
Verse 48 says, Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now again, there's not a lot of information provided here. One thing that we know is that there's this a book called the Talmud that is not scripture, but it would have been a bunch of guidelines for a Jew to live by. And in that Talmud, these followers of the Israelites, what they were encouraged to do is at least one time a day to take a period out and to meditate on scripture. And it could be that Nathaniel was taking his time of the day and he was meditating on scripture below a fig tree. And Jesus says, hey, listen, before Philip invited you, I saw you under that fig tree. And verse 49 says, Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So Nathanael, those words were so important and influential to him that suddenly he says, you are who you claim to be. You are the son of God. Now, if a person is a son of someone, then they take on distinctives of their father, right? So God, the Father, is eternal. He is all-knowing. He is everywhere at every time. He is holy. And what he is saying here is, Jesus, you are God. You are like God, the exact imprint of God, according to Hebrews 1. Then verse 50 says, Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I'd like you to take your finger here and turn with me just real quickly to Genesis chapter 28, because I think... Uh, Verse 51 becomes a lot clearer when we read a few verses from Genesis chapter 28. This is, again, going back to Jacob, an ancestor there of Abraham. We read in Genesis chapter 28, verse 10 of Jacob's ladder. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of that place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed and beheld there was a ladder sent up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There in Genesis 28, Jacob, this supplanter, this deceiver, has this vision of a ladder that goes from earth up to heaven. And there are angels that are ascending and descending. And so with that thought, with that verse in mind, let's bring it back to John 1, verse 51, where Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on a ladder? No. On the Son of Man. Now listen, I don't know if you've been on a ladder recently, I was on a ladder on Friday and Saturday replacing some fascia on the front of our house and in the front of our garage. And one thing I appreciate about a ladder is that there are places when I'm standing on the earth that there's no possible way that I can get up to that height unless I have a ladder. 
And here's a picture that's provided for us in John chapter 1, verse 51. Listen, Jesus is the ladder. We are unable here on earth to do anything to be made right with God who is way up in the heavens. And there's nothing that we can accomplish. There's no rungs up the ladder that we can get close. We need a person, and that person is Jesus. And by the time we get to the end of John's first chapter, he says this of himself. I am the ladder. You want a relationship with the Father? You have to do that through me. Nathaniel, listen, you're excited about me saying something about you being under a fig tree? I got good news for you. You're going to see some things that are far, far beyond that. I'm left to conclude, complete conjecture on my part, that that is what he was meditating on under the fig tree, that passage there in Genesis 28. And as he was meditating on it, Jesus is identifying it as he calls them to be a follower of Jesus. I mean, I think that that certainly preaches well, doesn't it? Well, we've worked through these verses. Now, I think at least there's three different themes that we see. When I say themes, I mean repetitions. It's as if, as, as John was writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there are different things that we see over and over again. And what I want to do is just point those out, and then we'll participate in the Lord's Supper here in a few moments. The first theme that I think we see in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51, is the word found. You see it, what, five different times? You see it in verse 41 twice? He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. Look at verse 43. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Look again at verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Do you hear it? Jesus, I want to say to us, is the one we are searching for. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of finding something, but I have a unique skill of forgetting a lot of things. In fact, this tie this morning was not my intended tie. I had set out the tie that I was going to wear last night, and I woke up this morning. I could not find it. So if you're looking at this and say, man, that's an ugly-looking tie, well, it was not my first, first choice, all right? But, but I'm always forgetting something. Several years ago, I can remember a time where I had a check. Today, it doesn't seem like all that much of money, but back then, it was a lot of money to me because I was going to use it to purchase a vehicle. And on my way from the house to the bank, I lost a check. And I'm telling you, two. I retraced, and I drove back and forth. Where in the world could that possibly be? And then, in a very obscure place, I'm here to tell you I found the check. And I I, I think I lost my voice because I was so excited that I had found the check. When we see this passage here, there's an excitement when you find what you've been looking for. Do you remember, if you were married, when, when God put a desire in your heart to get married someday? And maybe you're experiencing that right now as a young person. And you're like, I cannot wait for the day that I get to, 
to do, to do life together with another person. And then when you find that person, it's like, wow, the search is over. What a blessing. I, I have found the one that I get to spend my, the rest of my life with. You know, this word found is in other places of Scripture as well. Let me just read to you a few of those. Matthew 13, verse 44. Jesus taught the kingdom of heaven is like a, hidden, a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and tells all that he has Uh, sells all that he has and buys that field. Jesus is that treasure. And once we have found that treasure, it's like, I'm all in. I want to follow him. There's the same word found is used twice in Luke 15, verses 4 through 7, when Jesus taught another parable. He said, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, same word, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found, same word, my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. These men that we see here in John chapter 1 have found what they were looking for. Jesus is the treasure, and they are now satisfied. I don't know if you've had this experience recently where you have this real intense hunger, and you're looking forward to going to your favorite restaurant, and there you go, and, and you've been anticipating this entree, and, and they cook it, and, and they, of course they give you more double portion of what you actually can eat or what you need but it doesn't stop you. You eat everything anyway. And, and you are completely full. And then the waitress or waiter comes out and they say these words, can I tempt you with a dessert, right? And you say, I am so satisfied. I, I am so full that no, I, I got what I came here for. That's who Jesus is. He satisfies. Sometimes I hear this phrase, is that a destination job for you? What what does that mean? It means, is that a job that you can see yourself in the rest of your life? Or is it just a job that you plan on taking for just a, a short period of time and then moving on to another one? Jesus is the destination. We don't use Jesus to get where we want to be. Jesus is the one who satisfies. So this is the first thing I think we see, is this concept of finding, finding what we were looking for. Here's a second concept I think we see a couple of different times, and that is come and see. We see it there in verse 39. Uh, Rabbi, where are you staying? And they says to him, come and you will see. And then also we see it in verse 46. Nathanael came to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. There is this invitation, not to a set of beliefs and a code of life, but an invitation to a person. And as we work through this gospel of John, there's an invitation to discovering who Jesus is. Maybe afresh, maybe for the first time, come, come and see 
who he is and what he has to say and, and how he teaches. Come and see. And we ought to follow this example. A couple of years ago, one of the men, uh, Ramon and I, got to go to a conference in Illinois, and we heard a pastor say something like this. We are a call. We are to call people to a relationship, not to a time and place. Jesus was all about a relationship. We are to follow his example. Sometimes we can say, we want to call you to, hey, we got Awana, or we got the student ministry, or we got something going on a Thursday night or a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning. But maybe their schedule doesn't allow So to follow Jesus' example is to say, whether you can make that time and and space, I don't know, but I I want you to know that you are a priority to me. And if it means that we're going to meet Tuesday morning at 6 o'clock and that's not on a church calendar, it doesn't bother me because I'm interested in you. You matter to me. You know, there are times we can do time and space. We We can participate in the Bible study but actually not do relationships, right? I mean, that's possible. We're to prioritize relationships, come and see. A couple of weeks ago, I found myself in the early morning, and I was visiting with a man, no connection at all to our church. And as I was talking to him, I was thinking to myself, man, I have so many things to do at church this morning. What am I doing talking to this guy? And then it occurred to me, Actually, this is the most important thing I can do right now is talk to this guy because this is who God has for me. Relationship. To be able to talk to him about Jesus. This is what we are to do. I find it interesting that by the end of John chapter 1, there are six followers of Jesus. There's John the Baptist. There's these two men, Andrew. We think John. There's Andrew's brother, Simon. There's Philip and Nathaniel, and of those six, only one of them has been personally invited by Jesus. We see that there in verse 43. Jesus found Philip. Do you see that? Of those six, the other five were through relationships. That they cared enough about someone else that they said, I want to introduce you to Jesus. The impulse of knowing Jesus is to share him with others. Here's the third third uh, thing I think we see a few different times. It's the word follow, and it's related to come and see. Verse 40, we see this word followed. And in verse 43, we see the word follow as well. If we were to look at the gospel accounts, we are to see that people left everything to follow Jesus. This was not coming to Jesus on our own terms, but on his. And lives are changed. I got great encouragement this week by looking again at verse 42, where Jesus takes a man where he is named Simon and says, I can not only see where you're at, but I can see where you're going to be. And so I'm going to change your name right now. It's going to be Peter. Because that's the person that you're going to be. Listen, this morning... Do you find yourself in a role, maybe a family role, maybe a role at work, maybe a ministry, that you're like, God, I think you got the wrong person here because I I don't have the capability of doing this. Could it be that Jesus not only sees where you're at right now, but he's going to give you the grace 
to be the person that he wants you to be in the future. Hey, if you feel overwhelmed, that's all right. He sees you where you're at now and where you're going to be. You need his grace, and so do I. And it's through the ladder, isn't it? Jesus is our access. He is our ladder. What a week to remember. And if you know the rest of the Gospel of John, you know that there is another significant week that is covered. It's the week where his life carries out its meaning, its purpose, where he dies on the cross for our behalf, and then he is raised to life. What I'd like to do today is, in preparation for the Lord's Supper, as Miss Jean comes and, and plays, you know, I want this Lord's Supper today to be a celebration for you. Kind of like your anniversary where you would think, man, what a blessing it is to be in a relationship with Jesus. I have everything I've been looking for. He truly is my treasure. And we can take some time and reflect on as he offered himself as a ladder so that we could have a relationship with God. We could reflect on what it cost him to do that. It cost him his very life. Father, we say thank you for this this reminder that it cost Jesus everything for obedience towards you so that we might be obedient to you in confessing our sins, placing our faith on Jesus and help us to, to be satisfied in you and like what we see here today, look around and say, come and see, come and see who this Jesus is that you may find your delight and, and your fulfillment in him too. In Jesus' name, Amen.